morning, church. Great to be back from youth camp. I think I have Axe body spray permanently stuck in my nostrils, and I'm trying to get it out of my system. Uh, this, those middle school boys just kept spraying this stuff all over the hallways, and uh, it was <laughs> crazy. I'm like going, why are the kids spraying Axe body spray all the time? I don't get it. Um, but it was, it was a good week, good week of camp. Um, we made it back safely uh, Friday night, and um, glad to be here this morning and be able to preach again. Uh, I was here two weeks ago on Sunday. Pastor David was, was out. And last week, uh, Bruce was here up on stage preaching from Acts chapter 25. So this morning, we're going to continue, go, out, go to Acts chapter 26. So if you have your Bibles, go there with me. And we're going to take a look at Paul's con- continual case or court trial. He's been in this trial since chapter 22, 23. Uh, Accusations have been made against him that he's done certain things against the Jewish people. Um, And we saw in chapter 24, two weeks ago when I was here, uh, he's he's going up with Felix and and talking to Felix and saying, hey man, I'm not guilty of these things. Let me go. Felix cowers down. He doesn't let him go. He leaves him there for two years. And Festus last week gets a trial with him, and now we go to King Agrippa. Um, and he, now he's at this kind of towards the end of this trial, still trying to be free from the accusations. Uh, and we're going to take a look at what happens in this conversation with King Agrippa and some of the other guys that were in the room. Uh, but I want to focus our attention on the fact that Paul took this trial, this opportunity for evangelism. And as you can see on the screen, the title, Opportunities for Evangelism, were all presented with many opportunities to share the gospel uh, at different times, whether that's with family, co-workers, friends, uh, and even in moments when we don't realize there's an opportunity to share the gospel, a lot of times there are. And here we see Paul in this trial with this king, and he takes this opportunity to share the gospel with him uh, and the people that are in the room. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. Uh, number one, when we're presented with opportunities to share the gospel, we must engage people with respect. Take a look at verse one. So Agrippa said to Paul, you, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am making my, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So notice there's a couple phrases he says. First, he says, I consider myself very fortunate to be in your presence and to be able to uh, fight my case. And then he says, I beg you to listen to me patiently. He's not coming in rudely and harshly. He's coming in with a lot of respect towards this man. Uh, Paul could have said all kinds of different things. He could have approached this in all kinds of different ways. Uh, But he chose to be humble and he chose to be respectful. Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is not on the screens, but just listen carefully. Uh, verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So please just be ready to make a defense or be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you at all times. And then he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. I think one of the greatest obstacles today when it comes to evangelism or personal evangelism is is condescending 
in sort of a know-it-all attitude. When we go and talk to someone and we're sitting there with a person and, and we're just, we have all the answers, we know everything, they don't, they don't know, they're dumb because they have no knowledge of the Bible, so let me tell you everything I know so that you can be like I am. Uh, that, that is a, a danger when it comes to evangelism because the point of evangelism is not for us to show off how much we know, it's that we may present the gospel in, in such a way that the person may understand what we're saying so that God may do a work in their hearts and change them. It's not for us to win the argument with the other person. So we need to be engaging people with respect, with gentleness, being firm on what we're saying and what we believe, but with respect for the person. We're not talking to animals, we're talking to people. And there's been studies done, at least with the younger generation, my generation, millennial generation, and the, and the, the current one, Generation Z. It was interesting. Uh, I was looking up some stats and things like that, studies they've been doing. And they're saying that the millennials and Gen Z, they think it's disrespectful for people to even evangelize. Now think about that for a second. Not the way you evangelize. The fact that you're evangelizing, a lot of them think it's disrespectful. That's something you just don't do. It, it's offensive. How dare you come to me and just tell me everything you believe in and expect me to join you in that? Now, an older generation may have had people like that too, but they were a lot more open to conversations in general. So we're seeing a generation that's very opposed to conversations with people and, and having dialogue uh, because if you present something that you believe to be true and it goes against what they believe to be true, now you're intolerant and you're just a bigot who hates me. So if we're not respectful and if we're not engaging people in a gentle way, we're going to have a lot of barriers, extra barriers. The gospel is already offensive, uh, and it will always be. Why create another stumbling block for someone when we're trying to reach them with the gospel? So I want to encourage you, church, to engage people with respect. Uh, we had a girl one time in youth group, not this youth group. Um, they always tell me, never tell a story of your own church. But my other church that I was in, um, we had a girl in the youth group, and we were doing this evangelism training thing one night, and I said, so some of you guys are going to be the, the Christian people who are going to share the gospel, and some of you guys are going to be the non-Christian people who are, are going to be listening. So she came up, and this other girl came up, and she starts her spiel, and she's like, Jesus died for your sins, and this and this and that. And uh, the, the non-believer was kind of playing devil's advocate. But, oh, yeah, but what about this, and what about that? And kind of challenging her on some things. And she kind of had this, you know, laying down the hammer kind of answer. And she goes, boom! And she stepped back, kind of like, I owned you, you know? And I said, wait, hold on, wait, this is not, this is not the way we should be evangelizing. Um, so we had this whole conversation about respect and gentleness and all those kinds of things, humility, uh, and it was not, it was just not translating. Uh, she's like, but Pastor Jose, I was right. And I was like, well, yes, but we're, again, the point is not for you to be right. The point is for you to present the gospel to a person who's lost and doesn't know Christ so that God may save them. And it was funny, but at the same time, it gave me a glimpse of how a lot of times maybe we have been that way. Not to that extent, I hope. Um, but maybe we've been a little condescending or disrespectful. And, and we're reminded here as we see Paul facing this king in a room full of people and how respectful and humble he is in addressing him. And as, as we read through the passage, you'll see 
He doesn't shy away from the truth. He doesn't shy away from sharing the gospel very clearly and his own testimony even. Um, but he does it in a respectful and gentle way. So number one, we need to engage people with respect. Number two, we need to establish common ground if possible. Paul is establishing common ground here by explaining his past life. Uh, he, he knew what it was like to be Jewish. He knew what it was like to live in Jerusalem. He knew what it was like to be one of them. Remember, the accusations are coming from Jews. Look at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. So Paul's reminding them, hey, listen, I'm one of you guys. At least I, I, in this sense. I grew up in Jerusalem. I, I've been a Jew from my young life. I was born there. I was raised in a different place. Uh, but I am one of you guys. Uh, I am Jewish myself. I know what it's like to be Jewish. I know what it's like to practice all these customs. I know what it's like to be religious. I know what it's like to go to the synagogue and read the scriptures in the synagogue. I know what it's like to have this kind of life. I'm not a stranger to these things. And then he goes on. He says, uh, they've known for a long time if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So again, Paul continues, and he's saying, not only was I a Jew, I was part of the strictest group of Jews, the, the Pharisees. I was one of those guys. And not only was I a Pharisee, I was one of the, the best, or worst, depending on how you see it, Pharisees there was. He goes on in verse 6, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made to by God to our fathers. And remember, notice these our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Then he goes on in verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. So Paul's being very open and kind of laying a common ground and saying, listen, I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like to be Jewish. I know what it's like to be a Pharisee. I know what it's like to, to have this hope of seeing our nation be transformed by God. Uh, I know what it's like to oppose Jesus of Nazareth and what it's like to oppose Christians. Matter of fact, he says in verse 10, And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, he was putting them in prison, but also uh, given the okay for people to be murdered. And then he says, And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So here he keeps going and says, I know what it's like to be a Jew. I know what it's like to be a Pharisee. I know what it's like to be the worst kind of Pharisee. I hated God. I hated Jesus. I hated Jesus' followers, and I made sure that they suffered for it. So if anybody knows what it's like to be in your situation, it's me. It's what Paul is saying. He knows the struggles that come with that. And I think there's something to take away from this church. When we are engaging with people in evangelism and, and attempting to share the gospel with them, uh, we, we should establish common ground if possible. It's not necessary. We don't need to talk about our life or our past or whatever it may be in order to share the gospel. We can share the gospel and just share the gospel. But a lot of times when we establish some common ground, it helps us in gaining the person's ear and gaining the person's trust. And if you're someone who grew up in church, for example, my wife and I are very different. She grew up in a pastor's home. I can't relate to that. I grew up in a home where my parents weren't believers until I was 14. So I have 14 years of life of seeing all kinds of different things that I won't repeat. Uh, so, but my, Heidi grew up in a pastor's home. 
she can talk to kids, and she has talked to kids who are growing up in Christian homes, and she can relate to them in a way that I just can't. I don't understand what it's like to go to Awana and learn verses and have them memorized. And, and I, that life was just not mine when I was a child. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I didn't get saved until I was almost 16. So I, I, I don't know what it was like to go to church as a middle schooler. Um, she can talk to these kids and say, hey, I know the pressures of growing up in a church, having people expect you to act a certain way, having them think that you should be like this and like that because you're the pastor's kid or the piano player's kid or, or the usher's kid or the deacon's kid or whatever. I know what it's like to have to go to church every week and go to camp and go to all these things that you may or may not want to do. I know what it's like to do that, but I also know what it's like to know Jesus. Let me talk to you about that. You see the difference? Those of you who grew up in a non-Christian home, like myself, you could say, hey, I know what it's like to live in a crazy home. I know what it's like to have a life that's just wild. Some of you have a pretty rough past. You say, I know what it's like to be in your shoes, but I also know what it's like to know Christ, and I want to share that with you. And you can lay that common ground, and, and it, it, it's different when you're with the person, and all of a sudden, and it's happened to me many times, the person goes, oh, now I'm seeing somebody who's been changed by this message that they're trying to share with me. It's not just something that's out there that kind of floating around and it's not real. Here it is. The person sitting right in front of me has been changed by this message that they're trying to share. So if at all possible, lay common ground with people. Number three, explain God's saving work and calling. Uh, we're not just evangelism is sharing the gospel specifically, not our story only. And here we see Paul using his testimony, sharing his testimony of how Jesus came into his life and called him out of darkness into light, uh, and he uses that to his advantage. Look at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So when we evangelize our testimony, here Paul's telling his own story. We go, if you go to Acts 9 and 22, you see something very similar uh, of how Jesus came to him on the road. He saved him. He called him to specific ministry, which was to be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, he would also preach to the Jews, but he was called to reach those who were not part of the people of God. Um, so you see his salvation, his calling. Here he's going back to that. And he's saying, look, listen, this is what happened in my life. I was the strictest of the Pharisees. I, I lived that life. I knew I, I've been there. I've done that. But then Christ came. And the light shone from heaven, and he came and spoke to me and, and saved me and called me out of darkness and into the light. And he uses his own story to kind of tell a bigger story to King Agrippa and the people that are with him. Um, and we all have our story. We, we have to be careful that we don't allow our testimony, which is the story of how the gospel changed us, to, to be the gospel. They're two different things. So when we share our testimony, that's one thing. That's my personal story. The gospel is the specific message. You guys following me? Yes? And a lot of times people say, well, I share the gospel with them. And say, well, did you mention sin? Did you mention Christ? Did you mention forgiveness, repentance? There are certain things that have to be mentioned in order for it to count as gospel. Oh, no, I just talked about how my life was better 
once I started going to church. It's a good thing. Not to be nitpicky here, but I really want to be cautious with this. This is important. Our testimony is not what saves people. The gospel is what saves people. Our testimony can be used to then share the gospel. And for the person to see, this is how the gospel has transformed the life. But they're different. So if I were to say my own testimony, I, I was 15 when I became a Christian. My parents had been forcing me to go to church for a, a year. My mom started going to church when I was 10. And from 10 to 14, my parents were not on the same page. My dad hated the church. I hated God. He didn't want to go. He would say it all the time. Like, that's your thing, Nubia, but I'm not, don't count me in. Uh, you can take the kids if you want, but I'm not going. And he didn't. He stuck to that. Um, so we would go with mom. Sometimes we wouldn't. It was very inconsistent. And then when I was 14, my dad gets saved, and he comes home and says, everybody in this house is going to church. Every time we go to church, everybody in this house goes to church. And we went to church Wednesday night. Spanish people do a, a most Spanish churches do a, a family service on Wednesday nights. Um, so we went to family service on Wednesday night. Uh, Friday night was youth group because our youth pastor wanted to keep us from the club on Friday night. So uh, we went to fr Friday night youth group. And then Sunday morning was the Sunday morning service. So we were in church three times a week. Plus whatever other activity or thing was going on, we were there. And I hated every minute of it. I, I was that teenager that was sitting in the chair like this the whole time. Um, actually, the other day, uh, before the youth group, my mom came over to the church uh, to, to bring some stuff for VBS. And, and she said, uh, hey, you remember when um, you, we would go to church and this one lady, I won't say her name, uh, she would sit behind us. She had a really loud voice, like opera type voice. Um, and again, I'm not saved. And she sing, and I'm like, oh, if this lady keeps singing one more time. I'm going to turn around and yell at her. And, and I would tell my mom, I said, Mom, I'm not going to church if we sit behind her. Uh, she would walk in and look for a spot where we could sit where she wasn't because she really wanted me to feel comfortable at church. Um, and so we were talking about it the other day. She's like, you remember that? I'm like, and look at you now. You're a pastor, you know. Uh, so we go to church, and, man, I hated every minute of it. And they had been praying for me. Youth pastor was trying to talk with me. All kinds of people were, were attempting to share the gospel with me, trying to establish common ground. You know, they were like, hey, let's go play basketball. This guy took me to play basketball and, and, and share all kinds of things. I had, was having none of it. Long story short, I, they forced me to go on a mission trip to Peru. And on the way there, I'm grumpy. I don't want to be there. My, my mom was very adamant that I had to go. Uh, so I went. And this girl was there. She had sold almost everything she had to be able to go on this trip. And I thought, that's really dumb. Why would somebody do that? Um, so I went up to her. And I said, hey, I really want to know what led you to do this. Because I think this is really dumb. Um, and she very bluntly said, well... I know all that Jesus has done for me, so I want to serve him and these people. That's all she said. And I thought, oh, man, that's weird. Um, but it got me thinking. Uh, I thought, hmm, maybe this Jesus thing is, is real. Maybe there's something to this, because normal people don't do that. Uh, and again, I'm 15, so I thought that was a very radical thing to do. Um, I'm like, normal people don't do that. So I come home, and, and I believe God was really working in me while I was there. I come home. And somebody heard that I had questions and things, and my, this buddy of mine came to me and said, hey, I want to talk with you about your trip. So he opens up the Bible, goes to Ephesians 2, and, and shares the gospel with me. 
and, and, and starts reading the passage. And, and he says, you're a child of Satan, of the prince of the power of the air. If you read the passage, you'll see. Um, and then he goes, but verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, has saved you. By grace you have been saved. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And he said, do you believe you're a sinner? And I, I said, for the first time in my life, yes, I do. He goes, and do you believe that God is powerful enough to save you by grace? And for the first time in my life, yes, I do. And life has never been the same. So the gospel, one of the best ways I've seen to summarize was God, man, Christ responds by a pastor named Greg Gilbert. He wrote a book called What is the Gospel? And he says there are four tenets that have to be present in your presentation. One is who God is. God is holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's loving. He's gracious. And he cannot stand sin. God is free of sin. And then there's man. There's us. We are created by God to be in fellowship with God, but yet we fell from uh, our natural, normal state. Now we're sinful people living in a sinful world, haters of God who need a redeemer. And then there's Christ who comes in, and he's the one who lives a sinless life on our behalf. He dies on the cross on our behalf. He raises from the dead, conquering death, and he changes us, transforms us, but we have to respond by believing in Jesus and repenting of our sins. Very simply, in four words, there's a, a, just a summary of what the gospel It can be shared in many ways. Many different ways, but there are certain tenets that are, must be part of that presentation, or else it's not good news. It might just be an inspirational story, a, a, a story of change or something like that, but not gospel work. So church, I want to encourage you to be very picky when it comes to sharing the gospel. Make sure that you are giving people good news, that Jesus has come to save sinful people. That Jesus has come to save rebels of God and make them ch his children. And your story, your personal story, can be a great tool to share that message. To say, hey, this is how God changed my life. This is how the gospel came to give me life. And we see Paul sharing his own story and saying, this is what happened with me. But he doesn't shy away from, and in the passage we don't see the specific things he says, but we know that Paul, based on his other letters, never shied away from being very specific on what the gospel was. And there are certain realities we see here, uh, starting in verse 16, that I want to point out. Uh, when we're in Christ, number one, we're all servants of God. Look at verse 16. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant. So in other words, when we're in Christ, we are no longer ours. Even when we're without Christ, our life does not belong to us, but apart from Christ, we think it does. We think we call the shots, we're, we're our own person, we're the captain of our own ship, but when we're in Christ, all that stuff goes out the window. When we're in Christ, we belong to God, we're slaves of God, we are servants of God, our life is not our own, we don't call the shots anymore. Our wants and desires are secondary to what God wants of our life. And Paul knew that very clearly. And here he says that he is a servant. He's been appointed as a servant by Jesus Christ. And I believe we have been too, based on other passages of Scripture. We're all, when we're in Christ, servants of the living God. Then he says that we are witnesses. Verse 16, uh, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. So just like Paul, I believe we are also witnesses. Commentator said this, a witness bears testimony to the things he has seen and heard. Paul had seen the risen Lord and heard his commission. His whole story in Acts has shown his faithful witness before Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, peasants, philosophers, and kings. 
It is witness to Christ that, that links Paul with the apostles and other faithful Christians like Stephen. Ultimately, the role of witness is the key role for every disciple. All who have encountered the risen Christ are commissioned to be witnesses. If you go to the beginning of the book of Acts, it's, I know this was a long time ago, uh, but chapter 1, verse 8, um, it says that we are all to be witnesses in, in the beginning in our surrounding areas and to the ends of the world. Uh, so we've been commanded and commissioned by God to be witnesses, to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Everywhere and at all times. Um, and I know a lot of people will say, well, pastor, I'm, I just don't have that gift. I don't have the boldness or the courage. That's just not, that's just not who I am. God has not gifted me that way, wired me that way. Um, and, and my answer to that is, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Because that's something that we have been commissioned to do, regardless of our gifting and regardless of our personality, regardless of all those things. And I know it's hard. It comes easier for some people than others. I know it's hard, but I want you to be encouraged. This is a mission that God has not left us to do on our own. If you go to Matthew 28, you'll see that we've been commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, but His authority and power is always with us. We have the Spirit of God living in us that can embolden us to share the gospel in ways that we never thought possible. So we've been called to do this work, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ with the gospel. Number three, in Christ our eyes are open. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, In their case, the God of this world, meaning in the case of unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in other words, the spiritual eyes, if you will, of those who are unsaved are shut until the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ hits them. So when they're in Christ, their eyes are open and now they can see. And, and those of you who have experienced that, those of you who are in Christ, you know that to be true. You can now see. You're not the grumpy teenager anymore who's mad at the lady singing behind him. Now that's a, that's a joyful shout to the Lord. Um, after Christ, I'm like, oh yeah, we'll sit with her and sing with her. And yeah, everybody was happy. Uh, she was still loud, but um, my attitude was different. Um, it, it, was, it was a different perspective. I got to see the truth of God, and all those things became secondary uh, in, in many others. Uh, but when we're in Christ, our eyes are open to the truth, and that's what we hope would happen when we share the gospel, that God would save and I, people's eyes would be open. Number four, in Christ we're transferred from darkness to light and from Satan to God. Uh, verse 18, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So when we're explaining God's saving work, these are some things that we, we need to tell people. When you come to Christ, you are transferred from one kingdom to another. We have new life in Jesus. We have a new father, God the Father, not Satan. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have found new life in Him. Uh, And then we see Ephesians 2, the passage I mentioned earlier, uh, verse 1 and 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the word Satan, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, and we know that in Christ we are taken from that darkness and from the power of the devil to light and the power of the spirit of God. That is the reality that happens when people come to faith in Jesus. And we need to tell people that. We need to tell people that when they trust in Christ, this is, this is what, what goes on. Even if they can't see it with their eyes, they, they're transferred from one reality to another, from one kingdom to another, from one father to another. Number five, in Christ we receive forgiveness of sins in a place in God's family. Verse 18, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Forgiveness of sins is a very important aspect of the gospel. And a lot of times the one that we mention the most. And there's a lot of people in this room that may feel like you have sins that are unforgivable. Maybe you feel like you, you've done too many things for God to even look at you and say, you're, you're, I'm going to forgive you. I'm, and, and you're like, man, I'm so filthy, so dirty. There's just so, Pastor, so many things that I've done that I just, I just can't see God forgiving me for that. And I want you to know this morning that if you trust in Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, all your sins have been forgiven. Paul, we just read, was murdering people, imprisoning people, Christians specifically, causing them to blaspheme, to deny Christ, and yet God saved him. Not only did he save him, he used him in a huge way, wrote most of the New Testament that we're reading today. So you're not too far gone. You're not too sinful for God to save. And that may sound obvious to some of you, but for some of you really, may really be struggling with that reality. I want you to be comforted and know that in Christ, the record of debt that stood against you is nailed to the cross, as Paul says to the Colossians. It's, it's done. It's gone. And you've been forgiven, you have received that, you've been placed in the family of God, not the family of Satan. You've been adopted into the family of Jesus. It reminds me of the story of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, where he's carried to the table and he's part of the king's family, even though he was lame, he was crippled, uh, he was an outcast, he was a nobody. And, yet, and it was a beautiful picture of the gospel. Here, King David takes him in, and he's one of the sons and has a seat at the table of the king in a similar way. When we come to Christ, we are, we are lame, we're crippled, we're spiritually broken and dead in our sins, but then we're given life and a place at the table and a, with the family of God. These are realities and truths that we have to proclaim. When we engage people in evangelism, we need to tell them, this is what God has done and this is all available to you if you trust in Jesus Christ. Number four, we need to encourage repentance and obedience. Look at verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent, there's that word, and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Church, we're living in a day when repentance is hardly mentioned in a lot of churches, especially in our area. 
But if we believe that sin offends God, and that sin is a big issue that we need to turn away from, then repentance must be preached. And when we evangelize, repentance must be mentioned. We need to encourage people to say, not just, here's this, but end with, and turn away from your sin. Repent of your sin. And turn to Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear here that he was called to preach a repentance and that people would turn to Christ himself. Uh, again, with respect and gentleness. My youth pastor should always say repentance is making a U-turn. If you're headed in this direction, you're living a worldly life, and you're under the power of Satan and living, living a life of sin, and, and you, you truly repent, you're turning around and headed in the other direction and chasing after God. So when we evangelize, repentance is a big part of what we have to say and call people to. And then obedience follows that. Uh, obedience will come after people have repented of their sins. Uh, so we need to preach repentance, we need to preach obedience, encourage people to do those things when we're sharing the gospel with them. And lastly, we need to embrace rejection or opposition. Verse 24, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. So here Paul's facing a little bit of rejection. Festus is like, hey, man, you're crazy. And Paul's like, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you the truth. I'm preaching rational and true words. And then he says, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I word to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am except for these chains. So notice that there's some rejection, some opposition on the part of Festus, and Paul doesn't cower. He doesn't back down and just be quiet. He uses the opportunity to say, Hey, hold on. No, I'm not crazy. I'm actually speaking truth. Then he goes to King Agrippa and addresses him, and King Agrippa rejects him and says, hey, you're trying to convert me? You, you think you're going to try to make me a Christian in a short amount of time? And Paul says, well, not just you, but everybody else in the room. You see that? Very bold. In church, we need to pray that God gives us that kind of boldness. That in moments like that, we would, instead of reject rejection, that even right, yeah. uh, but that we would embrace it, that we would say, you know what, people are pushing back, but this may be an opportunity for me to say something like this. Well, you you think I'm not speaking truth? Why is that? See, a lot of times we have a tendency to say, oh, things are getting a little ooh, so I'm just gonna walk away. Um, but Paul says, you, no, I'm speaking truth. King of you think I'm trying to convert you? Yes, I am. And everybody else that's sitting here. In church, we need to encourage and embrace, we need to embrace rejection, embrace opposition, because it's going to continue to come. Uh, a lot of you know this. Uh, you, you may be facing this with some, some of your own family, uh, people in your family that are not believers, or maybe friends or coworkers, or, or, or maybe even your kids, uh, grandkids, I don't know. Uh, people that are just not wanting God. 
And that opposition is not going to go away. That rejection is not going to go away. So we need to be prepared to embrace it and use it to our advantage, use it for the glory of God. To not back away, but to actually engage in it and say, all right, let's have a conversation. And obviously use wisdom. There's times when maybe it is best to walk away. But I want to encourage you to pray that God would give us boldness to be a church that is very active in sharing our faith and sharing the gospel with those that are lost. So number one, we need to engage with respect. Establish common ground as possible. Explain God's saving work and calling. Encourage repentance and obedience and embrace rejection or opposition. Church, let's pray, and then we're going to continue worshiping. Father, we thank you for this morning, and I pray that you give us a heart for those who are lost. Uh, I confess that I don't always evangelize as, as, as I should. I miss opportunities. I waste them. I don't seek them as much as I should. And Father, I pray that you, one, would forgive us for that. Forgive me for that. Would give us a desire a passion to see those who are lost come to faith in you. Give us a desire to, to know your word and, and share it with others and pray that you would do a great work through it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this passage we read here in Acts 26. And I pray that you would help us to be convicted by it, to be encouraged by it at the same time. We thank you for this morning, this morning, this Sunday that we're able to gather once again as a church. And Father, we pray that you continue ministering to us as we sing. I pray in Jesus' name.